Good morning, everyone. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. You know, I know I say it nearly every week, but together really is a great place to be, isn't it? And I'm really glad to be here together with all of you, whether we're together in this room or we're together online. Uh, I'm just glad to be together. Amen. And before we jump into God's word together, I'd love to pray together. So let's do that. Father, we thank you that we can stop whatever we're doing and pray to you. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful opportunity that we've had to worship you, to be kind of warmed up in our hearts, Lord, as we turn our gaze upon you, as we focus uh, our lives on you and begin to think more deeply about you, Lord. We thank you for that opportunity. Uh, Lord, as we think about the week ahead, Thanksgiving and gratitude, Lord, there are lots of things that I'm sure in all of our lives that we can be grateful for. And so, Lord, help us to cultivate that virtue in ourselves. I also know, Lord, that as we approach this holiday and in all the holidays uh, that are coming up in the, in the weeks ahead, grief is a part of that as well. I'm glad, God, that you can handle both. You can handle our gratitude. You can handle our grief. They can coexist in our hearts and in our prayers. Lord, as we look around at the world and we see so much pain, we grieve. As we experience loss in our own lives, Lord, we grieve. But we also in that grief have hope. We also in that grief are grateful for your goodness to us. And we pray, God, for our world. I pray, God, for outlookers who are hurting or have family members who are hurting. Holy Spirit, thanks for being our comforter. We lean on you. We love you. And now, as we turn into your word, we learn from you. So help us, God, to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. As a kid growing up, I remember we had a huge garden, uh, and each, at least it felt huge to me as a kid, right? And each spring and summer, we spent a fair amount of time in that garden, and in my grandparents' huge garden as well. And in those early months especially, I remember my job was pulling the weeds, right? Rob, go out and pull some weeds, I remember my dad saying. Now, why was pulling weeds the thing to do? Well, because the goal was for the plants that we planted to thrive, right? Weeds draw energy from the plants. Weeds block light and rain to the plants and could eventually even keep us from being able to access and care for the plants if the weeds were left there long enough, right? And why is the thriving of those plants so important? Because the juicy sweet corn and the tomatoes ripe off the vine and the fresh green beans are delicious. That's the goal. We kept our eye on the goal, and so we kept our eye on those weeds. It's this word picture that Jesus uses in the parable that we are taking all month to explore. Parables are stories that teach, and Jesus is teaching us a lot through this one. In the Gospels, we see this parable recorded. It begins like this. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. Listen, he said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, the rest of the parable paints the picture of this seed landing on soil in four different conditions. Now, we heard what he had to say about the first and second soils in the first two Sundays of the month, and now today we arrive at how he describes the third soil. This is Jesus 
speaking. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Now the disciples asked Jesus if he could explain this parable to them, and he did. So Jesus says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. The seed, he says, is the word of God. Now, this is no small thing. We've talked about this each Sunday so far, but we're going to talk about it once more. When we hear Jesus say that the seed is the word of God, it's, it's a big deal. We're not just talking about some Sunday school verses that you might remember from your younger days or something your grandma had framed in needlepoint hanging on the kitchen wall. We are talking about the eternal, powerful, beautiful word of God himself. God's word is so good. It's so right. It's so essential. It's what we need, each of us, in our lives. That very first good word that tells us of Christ's grace and love of his rugged cross and his empty tomb. And all the good words that God wants to keep planting in us. Words that remind me I'm relentlessly loved, fully forgiven, that our sins are completely covered. That's a good word. A word that reminds me that nothing can separate me from God's love. God's word to me that says, look, I'm for you, not against you. Maybe you need to hear that today. That I'm working all things together for your good. A word that reminds me, hey, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. I can use those trials to grow and mature you. Ask me, God says, for wisdom. I'll give it generously. I need to, re I need to be reminded of those words. Love your enemies, do good to those who hurt you. Serve others according to the ways that I've gifted you and designed you. Abide and rest in me. Learn from me all good words. And never, ever, ever give up. Also, good words, good seeds that God wants to plant in me and in you today. All these good words of God are things that I need, and I need their fruit to fuel me. Maybe you do too. And God is lovingly sowing such seeds, landing on the soil of my soul. We're not talking about tractors pulling planters. We're talking about an individual with a sack full of seed, broadcasting it by hand, watching it fall on the soil, observing how it might grow. It's personal what's happening here. I think of planting seeds when I was a kid and being taught where, where and how far apart and how many and all of that, and then wanting to see what would come of those seeds, right? Enjoying watching them grow. The farmer is vested. God cares about what happens to the seed. It's personal. It's his very word. The seed is the word of God. And Jesus explains that each soil represents different conditions of our human hearts, our souls, in receiving that seed, that truth. And today we hear him teach us about our souls when they are like the soil covered in thorny weeds. Now, Matthew and Mark captured Jesus' words similarly. The seed that fell among the thorns, Jesus explains, stands for those who hear but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, 
and pleasures, and they do not mature. Luke captures Jesus' words this way, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now let's start at the end here and remind ourselves of the why. Why is this important? Let's remind ourselves of the sweet corn and the tomatoes and what's the goal here. We see it in the words mature and fruitful. Maturity and fruitfulness are the aim. It's a recurring theme throughout the scriptures that our life in Christ is meant to result in a level of maturity and fruitfulness. And then the Bible goes on to describe what's that, what that looks like. One passage that comes to mind is Paul's words to the early Christians in Ephesus in his letter to them when he talks about what a local church is all about and how we're, we're supporting each other in our spiritual growth. And then he says, until, this is a goal, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, in the original language, what we're talking about here is a description of a fully grown adult. The idea of mature, the whole measure, the fullness of Christ. We're talking about someone full and ripe and fully mature as an adult, spiritually speaking. Fully grown, we might say more and more like Jesus. This is the goal. This is what it means to say yes to Jesus. This is where we're headed. We don't get there flawlessly, right? Don't get there perfectly, but we do get there wholeheartedly. The fullness of who Christ is being formed in us. And what's that look like? The Bible, again, uses the theme of fruitfulness, in another letter, the Apostle Paul writes to the Galatians and says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And he goes on to describe virtues that are meant to be the fruit of what it means as I and you say yes and grow and live in Jesus. The things that are growing in us look like this. Love, joy, peace. Patience, anyone need some of that? Kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control. These are all a picture of who Jesus is and who we are meant to be formed into. And I don't know about you, but when I see this list, I don't see a lot of nice-to-have things. I see a lot of need-to-have things. And if you don't think you need it, just ask the people who live with you whether you might need some of these things, right? These are need-to-have things. This is the kind of thing that we're all aiming for. Remember what we've been saying throughout this series. Human thriving what everyone, that's just a way of describing what everyone in the world is ultimately looking for, that we are thriving as human beings, that is synonymous with and ultimately found in discipleship to Jesus Christ. So the way, these, these words, maturity and fruitfulness, are just another way of saying this same thing. And this is the DNA in the seed that is the Word of God. You let God's good truth get planted in you. I'm telling you, it's Christ-likeness that begins to grow out of you. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Fruit begins to grow. That's why the parable, the parable of the sower is so powerful, because it touches on a theme that you can find resounding throughout Scripture. God's Word, as a seed that grows into a plant that then bears fruit, is exactly a beautiful analogy of what it means to mature in our faith in Jesus. This is God's intent for each of us. 
But why doesn't this happen? This is the question to ask as we hear, because it's not happening. Here we've reached our third soil so far, and it's still not happening. It says that the fruit doesn't come as powerful as this seed is. And let's be clear, it is amazingly powerful, and yet it can be choked. What's happening here? At this point in the parable, the seed is there and not snatched away like the seed along the path. It's growing and not withering like the seed on the rocks. Plants are there, but in the end, they might as well not be because there's no fruit. The outcome ends up being the same. So that's what's happening in the parable. Now, as we move the analogy into our real spiritual lives, what's happening in the soil of our souls? The plants, Jesus said, are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Jesus gets good and specific here, and for good reason. So let's get specific too. If we want the fruit of maturity, we have some groundwork to do in terms of pulling some thorny, likely stubborn weeds from the soil of our souls. And according to Jesus, who understands us better than anyone, these thorns, these weeds can be perfectly described as the anxiety that comes from our worries, our ambition toward riches, and our appetite for pleasures. Worries, riches, and pleasures. Jesus is targeting what these weeds literally look like in my life and in yours. So let's take, let's go through them one by one. Let's talk about anxiety from worries. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives this really strong, really great guidance. <clears throat> Pardon me. He says, don't worry about such things. He's talking about things like what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, you know, where's all your stuff going to come from. He says, these things, <clears throat> pardon me, dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your heavenly Father knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, he says, and he will give you everything you need. Now there's something going on here. He's saying, don't worry. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. When we worry, and we do, right? I know I do. When we worry, we are thinking and reacting like someone who doesn't yet know God. And we shouldn't take those worries lightly, because like weeds, if they grow and uh, just grow unattended, unpulled, un uncut back, they can really begin to do some damage to our spiritual lives. These things dominate the thoughts of those who don't yet know God. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. In fact, there was a moment a couple of days ago where I specifically needed to hear that. Let me tell you a little fun fact. Every week when I finish writing the sermon, I email it with a few things highlighted to our online hosts. There's an online service happening right now. And off to the right on that screen, there's a chat area. And so the online hosts, if they get a little bit of the lay of the land of the sermon, they'll know maybe what point that they could bring out in the chat or when to hit the prayer button and offer a prayer, things like that. My wife is one of those online hosts, Tamara. So the other night, I'm worried about something going on, and I'm expressing, you know, my concern about how this certain situation is and whether it might go south, and I'm, I'm, I'm worried, without a doubt. And she just gently turns to me and says, well, I know the preacher this week is going to talk about the fact that when we worry, 
we're just acting like we never really ever believed in God. Man, it was a mind-blowing kind of meta moment, right? Because it's like, I wrote that, but then she read that, and now she's telling me that, and I absolutely needed to hear it in that moment. Because when we get wrapped up in anxiety and worry, we are forgetting who's really over our lives, right? Anxiety can be replaced, instead, Jesus is saying here, with trust. We pull the weed of worry, we replace it in the soil, the fruit of trust then can begin to grow. We let that happen in the soil of our souls. So we choose our thoughts, we pull up those weeds. That's the anxiety that's associated with worry. Let's talk about the ambition we all might have toward riches. Again, back to Luke chapter 12, Jesus says at one point to a crowd of people, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus is saying, be on guard here because greed can grow like a weed, quite literally, fast and relentlessly, right? Greed can pop up in our souls out of seemingly nowhere at times and really begin to take over, drive our decisions, choking out the good wisdom of God's word. Be on your guard, Jesus says against that. He sounds pretty serious to me. He reminds us that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We can get confused about that one pretty quickly. It is easy to begin thinking that that's exactly what life consists of, right? Isn't more better than less? And isn't even more even better? But a ton of stuff can just end up getting in the way, and it's not the stuff's fault. It's the way our hearts work. Ambition for more And whatever meaning we assign to that more and why we think more is the thing, man, all of this can just choke out the word of God in our lives. Consider this warning from Paul to Timothy. He's he's advising Timothy about how to pastor and teach and lead his congregation. This is a note from one pastor to a younger pastor. He says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Jesus is warning us about this in the parable. It's a weed that can take over. He's already told us to be on guard against it, to watch out for it. Paul, decades later, is observing the exact same thing. And some people, he says, craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. That sounds like thorns to me. That when we let money and status and whatever we define as some sort of material success become the aim of our lives, we will pierce ourselves with sorrows. We will let the thorny weeds of those things grow and fill our souls and we'll find that God's word has little room to really bear any fruit. We're too busy pursuing something ends up becoming a disappointment. We live in discontentment. We spend all our lives with the ambition toward riches. It's kind of like that old adage where they talk about how you work so hard to climb the ladder only to get to the top and realize it was the wrong ladder, leaning against the wrong wall, right? When we spend our life getting sucked into that ambition toward riches, that's exactly the disappointment, the the grief, the sorrow that we'll find ourselves pierced with. But instead, we can replace that ambition with obedience, 
with just accepting the humble and true beauty of what it means to obey Jesus day in and day out in a way that he may only know sometimes, to lead a quiet life. That we're told at one point in the scriptures, that's what we should make our ambition. The real riches are laid up for us in heaven. That's the account, so to speak, that we should pay attention to. Ambition toward riches can really distract us in a big way, but the third one can really grab us, and that is our appetite for pleasures. Worries, riches, and Jesus says, pleasures. Back to another uh, letter that Paul wrote to some early Christians. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now, when the Bible talks about sinful nature, it's talking about my nature uh, left to myself. It's talking about me left to myself with no, no input from God, no redemption from God. When I'm just operating based on my own appetites, my own drives, that's my sinful nature, as the scriptures put it. When we allow that to happen, when we follow those desires, just whatever, whatever makes sense to me, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever feels good, I'm going to do. Whatever my appetites drive me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Our lives become a mess. It's like a garden with all the weeds just growing everywhere. You don't look at that and you think something good's going to come of it. You look at it and say, what a mess. This is out of control and truly, literally fruitless. Follow the desires of your sinful nature, our base appetites. When we do, he says, the results are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Weed, 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 thorns, thorns, weed, thorns, right? That's what all of this simply is. A garden overrun by thorns. It's the third soil described a different way. The more room we leave in our souls for these to grow, the less and less fruit we see from God's word in our lives. The less integrity, the less self-control, the less peace, the less contentment, compassion, unity, and love, on and on. The less of that has any room or any chance to actually come to fruition in our lives. Paul concludes this portion of Scripture by saying, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when we hear that, we might be tempted to think of it as some sort of spiteful withholding or stringent punishment. Like, oh, you didn't pass the test, now God is going to withhold his kingdom from you. But think about it like this. It's simply a restatement of what Jesus is saying in the parable. When we live that way, we simply will not see God's kingdom come to fruition in our lives. We will not get to experience it. No fruit, no maturity, no chance to realize all the goodness of life in Christ that is there for us to have. No room for it to grow and thrive. It's just the way it's going to be. Because it's what we've left room or not left room for. Romans 13 says, instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. We all have them. The question is, am I going to pull those weeds or am I going to let them grow? Am I going to let myself think about ways to indulge? How could I indulge this desire? Now, you might not consciously think it, but when we neglect the weed, it will simply grow, right? So, so much of our life, our groundwork as followers of Jesus is cutting back 
And where we can, and really this takes our whole lives, this is, this is an occupation for our whole lives. To cut back weeds as we tend to the garden of our soul, and where we can, get some help, and even uproot as many weeds as we can. I will be doing that for the rest of my life. So will you. That's the groundwork that we get to do. God helping us, and believe me, God helps us. So again, we choose our thoughts. Don't let yourself think about that. And I think this is the biggest trick in the devil's playbook, uh, honestly. And that is the idea of counterfeit pleasures. Falling for the lie that the pleasures of the world are somehow the greater of the pleasures that are afforded to us. Instead of realizing that there is tremendous pleasure to be found in obeying and living for Jesus Christ. There's a sweet satisfaction in living in his grace. Amen. Well, before we end today, let's pick up one more thing from earlier in the parable. Just a little phrase that deserves our attention. Jesus said, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it, and choked the plants so they didn't bear grain. Here, the seed, the word, is growing. Right alongside, though, all those weeds and thorns. It's the difference between having a priority and having priorities, between seeking the kingdom of God first or only when we feel like it. Jesus is saying when the word of God is growing among, equally kind of equally tall, so to speak, if you were picture the garden of your soul, among life's worries, riches, and pleasures, among life's anxieties, ambitions, and appetites. All of these other things end up becoming, in our lives, just as important as God's Word. We might never say so, but we might find ourselves living as if it's so. And the temporary worries and the temporary wealth choke out God's eternal truth and the joy of Jesus' message, and it is a poor trade. We get confused about what's important. We become distracted and preoccupied. We accept the message of Christ but then quickly fold it into our own list of good things. Look at all the good things in my life, and this just becomes one of them. Things we enjoy or have made a part of our lives. Instead of understanding that this message, this good word, cannot remain a line item, it needs to become the whole of legislation, permeating all other things. When we let our anxieties, ambitions, and appetites just grow unchecked and unsubmitted to the Lord, they are like weeds that will choke anything good. We simply can't have thorns and healthy plants in the same soil. Eventually, the thorny weeds will rule the ground. So our groundwork is clear. Clear the soil of our souls. Get rid of the constant competition that's in our hearts. Cut the weeds down, and where possible, pull them up entirely. Whatever you need to do, to leave the distraction and follow Jesus, to make some serious changes if necessary, because the fruit is worth it. It's worth it. It's the whole reason why. The good news is we don't have to stay where we've just described. We can become this good soil, and we're going to look at that squarely next Sunday. But for now, I'd invite you to grab your bread and cup if you've got one as you walked in this morning. As we think about what we've just heard Jesus teach us, let's ask ourselves a question. How fast can a garden or a yard or an empty lot become overrun with weeds? I think we know the answer is quite quickly, right? 
We can be surprised at how fast weeds can take over something when we stop tending to it. And that is the lesson of today. And every seven days, we stop what we're doing when we come for worship and we clear back some weeds and we make a declaration when we take the bread and the cup. And that declaration is Jesus is the first priority in my life. Not growing among all the other important things in my life, but he is number one. He is preeminent. He is first in my life. And how could he not be when we consider what he did for us on the cross? As Jason prayed earlier, it's how we learned what love was all about. So in that love and with gratitude, let's take the bread and remember his body given for us. Every time we take the cup, we're recognizing that the weeds and the thorns, man, they, they multiply. They pop up and they multiply. But we are going to say, we're going to clear a space for that seed, for the sun to reach that seed and for some fruit to begin to grow. And our lives, we're tending to the garden of our souls. So let's take the cup and say, thank you, Lord, for your love for me. pray together. Lord, we thank you for your good word. It is good. It's a good seed that we need planted in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, add warmth, add, add nourishment, add water to the seed that's been planted today. This parable is in play right now in this room and, and for everyone who's listening, not to me, but to your words, Jesus. They're being planted. They're landing on souls landing on soil. Lord, we pray that you would help us to identify and begin to see the thorny weeds that are getting in the way. Give us the strength and the perseverance to pull them up, to cut them back. God, thank you for helping us in that work. We can't do it all on our own, but we're not on our own. And we're thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.